Okay. Um, good morrow, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are, children, and welcome back to Crowenford's Guide to Weird Fiction, Folklore and Mythology, and Everything in Between, um, where I talk about weird fiction, Fern discusses folklore and mythology, and together we cover everything in between. I'm Crow, and this is... Fern! I'm Fern. Hi. <laughs> She's Fern. And before we get into things, let's start off with intro music. All right, so... Before we jump into things, how are you, Fern? I'm doing good. We're How's your week? <laughs> so tiring. So tiring. <laughs> exhausting. Her week was exhausting. Yeah. It was a crazy week. Yes, I told um, you about my walking naps because I didn't have time for normal naps. <laughs> That's when you close your eyes when you're walking and hope you don't bump into anything. It's just because you need to give your eyes a little bit of a rest. It was that kind of week. You also hope you don't walk into the street and get run over by a car. I was indoors. Mm, why were you walking indoors? Am I supposed to just sit? Yes. Yes. Because I had places to be, Crow. I had places to be. Fine, fine. Am I the only one who just sits wherever? Like, literally everywhere I go, I will find some place to sit. If I'm in the middle of a fucking mall, I will sit on bookshelves. Find Don't some, test me. Find some handsome stranger to carry you wherever you need to go. One day, perhaps. Anyway, um, no one make any jokes about handsome strangers to sit on. I will not be amused. Anyway. She will be so, so amused, send um, her all the memes. <laughs> Yes. Bombard me with memes of sitting on handsome strangers. Um, Photoshop a crow sitting on Henry Cavill. Uh, Okay, so, uh, right. Now, today I was going to do an American Psycho episode, and I've been prepping for it for a very long time. She has. But... What? 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 Uh, My... Okay. So while I was putting the final touches on the script this afternoon, uh, like my brain is just not doing well this week, like at all. Like I am one patient yelling at me away from a nervous breakdown. (laughs) So (laughs) my brain was just like, I can't do this. We're not doing this. We just absolutely cannot. So I was like, fuck, then, you know, what do we do? Luckily for everyone, I have something very special that fits this um, month's serial killer theme, and it will help introduce us to weird fiction as a whole, as a genre, okay? So I think you guys are going to like it. Fern, I think you're going to like it. And also, I want to do American Psycho Justice. Like, I've been working on this script for about a month now and I don't want it to be the same Kafka fiasco where I did it and then I redid it because I wasn't happy with it the first time but when you redid it it was really good like I your metamorphosis episode is still one of my favorites 
I'm glad. And that's what, you know, I feel like I really like where the American Psycho episode is headed. I feel like the theme is really cool. I just want to do it justice. So this week's episode is going to be more of a fun, you know, intro to weird fiction and what all of these episodes have kind of been leading up to. It's like a glimpse into the genre. Okay? Okay. Do you want to guess? Um, I don't know. What is it? I, I was this close to doing a fucking Sam and Max episode just to fucking cheer myself up, but no, it's not going to be Sam <laughs> but and Max. how do they fit Today's... in with serial killers? <laughs> no serial killers, unfortunately, unless you count the one about the cockroaches. So, today's episode will be yours truly, Jack the Ripper, and the Franken genre. That is weird fiction. Hmm. So... Yours truly, Jack the Ripper, um, started as a short story that was published in 1943 um, by fantasy, horror, sci-fi author. Do you know him? Mm, 1943. Who was going then? 1943. Uh, I'm not familiar with this book, so I'm not actually sure who wrote this. It was um, by author Robert Block. So, Robert Block, have you heard of him? No, I don't think I have. Have you heard of Psycho? And oh, Norman yeah, Bates? like this. Like the one that was adapted into a, a very famous movie? Is, is it the yeah. same one? Yeah, and then which then turned into a kind of famous-ish series that I personally really like. Um, yeah, that's, uh, he was the one who wrote the book. So it was okay. based on a book, okay. Psycho, and Robert Block was the one who wrote it. And apparently, I didn't know about him before, but apparently he is one of the big names in the weird fiction genre. And the reason I found out about him was because after I panicked for not having the energy to do American Psycho today, I was like, fuck, fuck, what am I going to do? Um, and then I went to our slash weird lit and I wrote down serial killers and someone brought up the yours truly Jack the Ripper collection so yours truly Jack the Ripper first it was published as a short story by Robert Block in 1943 and in it we follow the adventures of a British diplomat known as Sir Guy Hollis and an American psychiatrist John Carmody as they follow Hollis's quest to find Jack the Ripper in Chicago um, because Guy Hollis um, has dedicated his entire life to studying all of the controversial uh, controversial theories surrounding Jack the Ripper and who he might be. He's come up so with many. a crazy, wacky theory about him and he's gone all the way to Chicago to meet with Jack, uh, sorry, uh, John Carmody um, oh. to try to find him because... I'll I'll get into that in a minute. So basically, this story was incredibly popular back in the day. It was adapted for radio. Um, There was a radio show called Stay Tuned for Terror. It was adapted for television. There was a series called Thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, by Beret Lindon. So, um, and it also showed up in a number of anthologies, including Block's anthology of the same name that was later published in 1962. And it was even adapted into a Marvel comic. And oh. um, a lot of writers say that it was plagiarized by a number of authors that came after Block. But we will, again, get into that. Well, that's, so. that's interesting because... Yeah, a mm. lot of the Jack the Ripper um, s- suspected 
suspects would have still been alive in 1943. So, isn't that right? Because it exactly. was the late 1880s, wasn't it 1880s-ish? It was 1888, I believe. Did the they actual all happen Jack in Thurber, one year? Um, was it all hmm? in one year? I, for some reason, I was thinking it was spaced out over multiple years. I think it was based out over multiple years, but like it started in 1888. Yeah, so 1943, you have suspects potentially who are still alive. That's insane to think about. Exactly. And I'm going to get into that in a second. But first, I'm going to talk about the whole, the theme of this episode, okay? Okay. Which is weird fiction as a Franken genre. And yes, I did steal that from Safia Nygaard and um, her tendency to turn lipsticks into Franken lipsticks and eyeshadows into Franken shadows and so on. <laughs> Those are the. And why I love do Sophia. I mention- She's so great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why do I mention that? So, how would you, Fern, define weird fiction? Um, it's stuff that. I mean, I don't know that I have a solid definition other than something that uses like a dreamlike aesthetic or like a strong sense of cognitive dissonance to yes. force you to see things in a different way. Exactly. That's exactly it. Because why do we need a definition for weird fiction? Why don't we just say horror and be done with it? Well, that's because the horror of weird fiction doesn't come from a definition of fear we're all more familiar with. So it's not a ghost story. It's not a serial killer story. It's not a fear stemming from what might cause us harm. Um, Instead, as Lovecraft put it in one of his essays that I found through um, the Vandermeer's the weird an introduction which i will link below mm-hmm. uh it represents the pursuit of some um indefinable and perhaps maddeningly unreachable understanding of the world beyond the mundane so a certain atmosphere of breathless and unexplainable dread which remember is sort of what we were hinting at when we were going through the metamorphoses and using the tool cognitive dissonance in order to instill that mm-hmm. kind of terror in the reader right so according to the vandermeers yeah Go ahead. Did you want to no, say something? No, I just said right. I'm, I'm just agreeing with you. You're right, Crow. Go on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm right. I'm always right. So according to the Vandermeers, the weird is the story of the refinement and destabilization of supernatural fiction within an established framework, but also of the welcome contamination of that fiction by the influence of other traditions, some only peripherally connected to the fantastic. So essentially, what does that mean? It means weird fiction untangles um, established genres. So is it sci-fi? It could be. Is it fantasy? It could be. Is it horror? It could be. But mm-hmm. it does not invoke the same feelings that you would associate with genres like horror, science fiction, or fantasy. For example, Dempow Torishima Sisyphean, which I might make an episode on God Help Me, um, it couldn't make it clearer um, with his landscapes made of walls that pulse and breathe, characters quashed by the vastness of the world, biologies that so differ from our own but are described so naturally that we struggle to dismiss them as impractical or unnatural. 
So in one of the stories in the novel, Sisyphean, there's a worker whose job seems to consist of building bodies for creatures that are only vaguely described through dreary, dreadful processes that have us sweating and tugging at our collars. Similarly, Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy, uh, where he sends us on an expedition to an area that very few return from, create this sense of dread without even presenting us with a horrific creature for half of his book, Annihilation. So we sense that the world is shifting around the character. We sense the silence. We sense that there is a terror that we simply cannot understand that climbs higher and higher whenever we try to contain it under the ceilings of our minds. So again, this is me quoting the Vandermeers again. Because it can occupy different territories simultaneously, because the weird is as much a sensation as it is a mode of writing, the most keenly attuned among us will say, I know it when I see it, by which they mean, I know it when I feel it. Mm -hmm. um, and some authors like uh, China Mayville described it as a, um, like, numinous is how he described the feeling like a sense of otherworldliness, something that's not quite right, but you can't put your finger on it. Now, there are some tools like cognitive dissonance, which we discussed before, muted reactions like in Cursed Bunny, and later techniques that I'm going to discuss when I'm talking about, when I'm picking apart American Psycho, like the implementation of first-person point of view confusion and unreliable narrators that aid in creating this feeling. But today we're not really looking into how to create the feeling and instead we're looking at another aspect of weird fiction or the Franken genre. Because like I said, weird fiction can be an amalgamation of gothic fiction, horror, science fiction, and fantasy. Um, we're going to be doing this by going through Robert Bloch's uh, Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper. And I'm not really going to talk about the short story, I'm talking about the anthology. The Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper anthology that was published in 1962 is a collection of short stories that follow Jack the Ripper around, basically, um, through a series of kind of science fiction-ish fantasy um, like sequences. Uh, so the story that we're actually going to be looking at is called A Toy for Juliet. And hmm. it is pretty fucked up, fam. Woo! Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready for the yeah. mind fuck. Hold on to your butt cheeks. Okay, but I'm going to give you a brief glimpse into the them. short story, uh, Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper. Um, so it's apparently based on a novel, uh, sorry, not a novel, like a poem that a good old Jack Jack left behind. I hate when they call him Saucy Jack. Like, wait, wait, I don't think why? I've heard that one. Why would you call him Saucy you Jack? You haven't? It's, it's one of his nicknames. One of them is Red Jack, Ugh, one of them is Saucy Jack. And I'm like, the f... What? What? Who? I need to meet oh, the person who came up with this, and we need to have a talk. Yeah, I'm gonna tell his mother. <laughs> Saucy Jack, fucking, he wasn't spraying ketchup at people. That's blood, Jacob. I'm assuming that's his name. The person who you came just up with it. Notify his mom on Facebook, like private message his mom on Facebook, like your son just sent me a dick pic. Uh. <laughs> your son just called Jack the Ripper Saucy Jack. The fuck? Yes, exactly. Um, 
I think, actually, I think the first time that term came up was in one of the letters that was were sent to the police. And I think when I was listening to the morbid episodes on Jack the Ripper, they, like, kind of debunked that letter as being fake. Like, yeah, nothing's I confirmed, but evidence points to it being fake. That was a really good series for Morbid. And I know, like, Elena did it. point out some of the letters that where she's like, Fucking this one just it. doesn't really make sense as being authentic. And so, mm. like, I, I don't know, like, which, which letter is this? It was Saucy Jack, uh, it's called the Saucy Jack Postcard, is the name given to a postcard received by the Central News Agency of London and postmarked the 1st of October, 1888. Um, The author of the postcard claims to have been the unidentified serial killer known as Jack the Ripper. Um, So, yeah, that's the one that says, uh, I was not codding dear old boss when I gave you the tip you'll hear about saucy jack's work tomorrow double event this time number one squealed a bit couldn't finish straight off had not time to get ears off for police thanks for keeping last letter back till I got to work again jack the ripper okay so, I remember um, this one now yeah okay cool they think that they think that it was a journalist um that actually sent it. And in 2018, a forensic linguistic analysis found strong linguistic evidence suggesting that this postcard and the Dear Boss letter were written by the same person. Yeah. Okay. I do remember the Dear Boss letter. Yeah. Okay. Cool, yeah. cool, cool. So, yeah. Apparently. Apparently that's a thing. So, yeah. Uh, don't call him also Saucy Jack, please. Yeah. And uh, the, but anyway. the, the fact that this is yeah. a journalist is extra gross because you're supposed to be like helping people get the truth and here you are making up salacious bullshit just to sell papers like fuck you dude fuck you journalists can be disgusting like you know about the black dahlia case right oh yeah that's a tough one yeah 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 and the fact that they were calling the victim's mom and being like do you have any comment about your fucking dead daughter and she didn't know that her daughter was dead Oh, that's so rough. So that should never fuck. be how when anyone finds out. Yeah. So yeah. So journalists can be disgusting. But anyway, I've trailed off. Uh, the point is, um, the reason the whole "Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper" is that um, apparently, a like in this world, a poem was published. Um, by Jack the Ripper, and it says, I'm not a butcher, I'm not a kid, not yet a foreign skipper, but I'm your own true loving friend, yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Classy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, this is going to contain spoilers of the short story, so if you want to read it, um, you know, just pause this episode and go read it. It's only 13 pages, it won't take you too long. But anyway, yeah, we have two main characters here. Um, We have a British diplomat known as Sir Guy Hollis, and we have a psychiatrist in Chicago uh, by the name of John Carmody. And it doesn't really tell us how the two met, just like Hollis sort of shows up at uh, Carmody's um, office and starts talking to him. Mm -hmm. about, you know, he just starts telling him a story about how he came here because he has these theories. He's dedicated his life into, like, uncovering the identity of Jack the Ripper and he wants Carmody's help because apparently Carmody is involved with a lot of artistic figures in Chicago and Hollis has this theory that Jack, 
left um, England and came to the U.S. and is now sort of hiding himself among the you know, the artsy-fartsy people, like the poets and the artists and the writers for some reason. And the issue with the story is that he never really elaborates on his theories. He just goes, oh, you know what? Don't worry about that. Like, don't worry about my theories. I don't want to bore you with my... Like, dude, no, tell me your theories, fam. I, I You're not boring me. Tell me. <laughs> Share your theories with me so that I understand. He's like, no, 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 no. I don't want to bore you. He just wants um, Carmody to take him there. And... Actually, it's kind of a, like, I don't know, you know, maybe I'm just fucked up, but the banter between Hollis and Carmody is kind of wholesome. Like, I don't want to be hmm. gross, but I kind of ship them. <laughs> it's just, like, Carmody keeps, like, he's a psychiatrist, right? So right. he keeps, he realizes that he can wind Hollis up you know like he knows how to tease him and he like takes joy in like teasing him and winding him up and getting him to sort of spill um more of his theories than he's kind of comfortable with mm -hmm. um and they just like strike up this camaraderie and i don't know i just thought it was wholesome i was like yeah i ship you too i'd write fan fiction about you never mind um, the fact that one of you is potentially a serial killer <laughs> what wait why is what what did you say said so never mind the fact that one of them is potentially a serial killer. Why is one of them potentially a serial killer? Wasn't Carmody one of the suspects? No. Wh what? Was Carmody one of the suspects? I don't know. Okay, maybe I'm confused. Go on. <laughs> you could get no, that No, but out. was it an actual thing to know? Is, is he an actual person? No. I didn't know that John Carmody was an actual person. I might be confusing people. It could just be me messing up. So... Just no, because it plays into the story, actually. Mm -hmm. it, it plays into the story a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I could, like I said, I could be wrong. I could be confusing oh, people. Yeah. Um, so anyway, John Carmody is like, okay, you know what? Um, uh, Hollis basically tells him, can you take me to one of the um, parties that you attend with all of the artists and whatnot? Mm -hmm. And uh, Carmody's like, you know what? <clears throat> it's fine. I'll, I'll take you. It's okay. So uh, he takes him to the party and we meet a lot of very fascinating characters. I actually really like them. I liked um, Block's ability to bring characters to life in like just a few paragraphs because he only has like, like I said, 12 to 13 pages to work with and he's introducing so many characters and it's just it's just really interesting how he does that. His characters are very vivacious and they say what comes to mind and they're just big characters. Um, so anyway, uh, he takes him to the party and uh, Hollis just tells us that he thinks that someone at this party uh, is Jack the Ripper. And he doesn't really elaborate on why he thinks this, but he brings a gun with him. That's important for everyone to know. There's a gun with him. Um, he's gonna shoot all Jack. The, he's gonna shoot Jack, Jack, um, the Rip Rip. So uh, the dude who's sort of hosting the party is called Baston, and Baston is like one of those. Um, how do I describe him? He's like, he's the kind of character that would appeal to 2015 to 2017 Tumblr fangirls. Oh, is he, like, oh, what did they call him? The, oh, there was a term for it. 
and I can't remember. Oh, well. I can't remember either, but he's more like, you know, he's just, he's uh, teasing Hollis the whole time, drags him to the middle of the room and is like, ooh, this man is gonna, you know, try to look for Jack the Ripper in our midst. <laughs> and like, you know, just makes a whole show out of it. And then I guess um, Baston decides that um, how they're going to do it is that they're going to turn off the light. And if they turn off the light, then Jack will reveal himself or something. Obviously, that doesn't work. But this is some Agatha Christie bullshit. Someone's going to get murdered when the light comes back on. I mean, like, they'll spend I some... thought so, too. I yeah. thought so, too. Um, and also, like, what what he he turns off the light on off the light and then he turns it on and um hollis is like sprawled in the middle of the room and i was like oh man he did but he wasn't dead he was sort of joking he was kind of teasing everyone for uh, no reason hollis sounds like how hollis is a legend he's like everyone thinks someone's gonna get murdered so i'm gonna like go pretend i'm dead in the middle of the room like (laughs) hollis you're coming to my next birthday he literally screams when they turn the lights off and then they turn it on again and he's like Bleh. and then he gets up and starts <laughs> laughing at everyone he's like yeah you thought you were gonna tease me but ain't no one teasing me and he not brandishes the gun and starts waving it around so um not gonna lie like, people I, that, start crying. That's, that's amazing <laughs> i love him i love hollis i love carmody and i totally ship them mm-hmm. so anyway uh the experiment didn't work so basically how he explains it is that if jack the ripper were among those presents and thought i had been murdered um he would have betrayed himself in some way when the lights went on and he saw me lying there which makes zero sense hollis i love you but darling no um so, is yeah, he thinking anyway, like Jack would be like, oh, I'm so surprised. I thought I was going to be the murderer, but there's some other murderer in the room. But then like, he's just like, whoever Jack the Ripper is would just look surprised. But so would everyone else, you know? So I don't know what he's expecting But like, to I feel like someone as quote unquote masterful as Jack the Ripper, as Hollis knows him, wouldn't be so stupid. So it was a dumb idea, Hollis. It's possible Get we your shit together, Jack. It's possible old Jack yeah. was just dumb and lucky. We shall see. Um, <laughs> then, basically, Hollis meets up with Carmody again, and he decides that this time he wants... Um, have you seen that Instagram video or TikTok, was it, where this woman does a hilarious impression of um, a bunch of rich ladies who go to a bar where the poors go? It's like that, basically. Take me to where the poors go to have a drink. So <laughs> Hollis basically asks... Um, Carmody to do that uh, because now he thinks that that's where um, Jack Jack is hiding and there's the super kind of cute scene where um, okay so like basically Hollis is waiting um, at this super grimy slimy alleyway for Carmody to show up and then Carmody jumps out of hi- at him and he goes like boo and I'm like you guys are so fucking cute I want to keep you in a box <laughs> which is what Juliet does but um, we'll get to that she keeps them in anyway, a box you wait for it um so they go on their wild goose chase again what i didn't like about this part of the story i don't know if this was just that time Mm -hmm. but i still thought it was gross um there was a bit of racism in there i'm not gonna repeat it but just like if you just gonna call it out you know yeah 
there there well, there was a pretty racist sentence there and i was really fucking disappointed when i when i came across it because i thought it was That's just so lovecraft but no well lovecraft was pretty yeah. pretty horrifically racist uh but that doesn't mean he was the only one yeah and it's kind of sad because robert block came from a minority background too so it always hurts me more when minorities are like just shitty towards other minorities Wait, was, so yeah so that was kind of sad the what was his background the then? thing yeah the thing that he said like the character said anyway now what was robert um, Block's background hmm what was his background his minority background uh he i think he came from a german jewish ancestry oh okay okay they actually fled germany from what i've read yeah um, so during, you- yeah he would have experienced some pretty intense prejudice so yeah exactly mm-hmm. and the the whole you, you like i'm sure you know this already the whole whole jack the ripper um investigation was also based in deep deep anti-semitism because um there were even theories that jack the ripper may have not been jewish but was hiding amongst jewish communities because it was so easy for people to immediately point fingers towards them when anything wrong happened there's a long history of that in europe though well i i yeah sure it's not just exclusive to europe but exactly but like you know if you come from that background Mm -hmm. why be racist against other communities it's just not so anyway the point is um we skip through and then uh he thinks that jack the ripper is going to show up at the bar jack the ripper doesn't really show up at the bar so hall uh, oh and then carmody's like look you know hollis why the fuck are you so interested in this like you know what kind of fetish is this where you've dedicated your life to finding jack the ripper and Hollis reveals that one of the prostitutes that was killed was actually his mother. And after Jack the Ripper killed her, his father um, took him in and his father dedicated his life to finding Jack the Ripper. And then Jack the Ripper killed the father. So Hollis's theory huh. is that Jack the Ripper, because this story takes place in the 40s, right? So Carmody from the very beginning is like, you're going to find Jack the Ripper now? That happened in the 1800s. So if even if you find him now, like how old is he going to be? And Carmody's, uh, sorry, and Hollis's theory is that Jack the Ripper is still killing. And this part of his theory, he says that he thinks that Jack the Ripper is no longer human. He's actually an entity that found a way to prolong his life or become immortal by making regular ritualistic blood sacrifices at certain intervals. And from what I've read, Robert Block was the first person to propose this idea inserted into fiction because Jack the Ripper has played a very prominent role in fiction for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Um, even when the murders were still taking place. Um, So, like, actually, right after the murder of Catherine Eddowes, um, a story was published called The Curse Upon uh, Mitra Square um, by John Francis Brewer. So, like... It's it's like there there's always been speculation. There's always been theories. Again, people trying to process their cognitive dissonance by uh, exploring this through fiction. But um, 
this is where weird fiction plays a role because Robert Bloch was the first person to insert science fiction or fantasy and transform the Jack the Ripper mythology into something else. And from then on, people started having the same ideas that maybe he was a demon, maybe he was a ghost and this and that. And I'll get into that in a second. But anyway, that was Hollis's theory. And that's why he said that, um, like, like I said, Jack the Ripper killed his mom and then he killed his dad. And now he's dedicated his life to finding Jack. And he's absolutely sure that, um, he's going to find him. And then Carmody's like, you know, you really think you're just going to happen upon him in a bar? And Hollis says, he'll be around. I'm psychic. I know. Mm-hmm. And uh, Carmody's like, uh, Sir Guy, which is his first name, wasn't psychic. He was maudlin. <laughs> I ship them. But anyway, um, uh, they don't, they get drunk, or more likely, Hollis gets drunk. And Carmody's like, listen, Jack's not going to show up. Let's just go home. And I actually, you know, it starts taking this kind of sweet tone where he's like, you know, like, I believe in you and I think you're going to be able to turn him over to maybe like the FBI or, you know, find justice or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you want to guess what happens next? They kiss. No, no, they don't kiss. Um, they don't do. They do, do wanna, in my head. Another guess. <laughs> Um, one of them murders the other one. I don't know. What happens? Basically that. Um, Carmody goes, let's go, as he steers um, Hollis down the alleyway. And then Hollis says, no, wait, give me back my gun. I'd feel better with the gun on me. Um, so Carmody um, reaches into his coat and brings his hand out. And then Hollis is like, but that's not a gun. That's a knife. And Carmody goes, I know. And he stabs him. And then, because his name is John Carmody, Hollis screams out, John. And Carmody says, never mind the John. Just call me Jack. Shock. No. See, I... Okay. I I was People I was channeling that. this thing where I was like Carmody is Jack the Ripper. I know it. Yeah. And yeah, I the, yeah. I tried to tell you at the beginning like Carmody, Jack the Ripper. And you were like, I'm gonna cut that out. But my truth <laughs> shall be heard. <laughs> it's like yeah yeah like you know i i was surprised when you said it because i was like fuck does she know like is this an actual thing that i'm missing out on yeah people didn't like like no back in the 1940s people liked it they thought it was super clever but people nowadays think that it's really stupid i honestly i didn't think it was stupid i i liked it Mm -hmm. i liked it okay fine is it the most original thing it was the 1940s like my guys you know okay fine it wasn't an original plot twist but then so was nothing, almost nothing nowadays on the Twilight Zone. It's because they did it first. Yeah, we don't yeah. think it's original now because we've watched adaptations. But yeah, those are so the people who did it first, you know. Idea. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. 
so yeah so that's that's my take on it but anyway i really liked it uh moving back to what i was talking about the theme i just wanted to give people an introduction into uh yours truly jack the ripper so basically what i'm trying to say is that jack the ripper has become an essential part of horror fiction due to the brutal nature of his crimes so nowadays re-exploring the origins identity crimes or nature of what jack the ripper is has become a trope, more or less. Mm -hmm. Um, And the same way the weird does away with classic tropes, in comes Robert Block to do away with the trope of investigating Jack the Ripper's identity and focuses instead um, on the character in different genres. So inserting the character into things like science fiction and fantasy, and that's what his anthology series follows. He even inserts Jack the Ripper, um, okay, I'm going to be crucified by Star Trek fans, but he (laughs) inserts Jack the Ripper into Star Trek, basically, like on the ship. I didn't find that story. It's really difficult to get your hands on the anthology series. Mm. Um, It costs $65, the whole series, and uh, I'm I'm kind of broke, guys. It's uh, the middle of the month. I and bought- the girls got makeup, so <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry I didn't buy the whole thing. But I managed to find some stories here and there. One of which is A Toy for Juliet, which is the most interesting story out of all of them anyway. Um, do you want to dive into that? A Toy for Juliet? Go for it. Yes. So, A Toy for Juliet. A Toy for Juliet is set in a let's say, dystopian, post-apocalyptic future. We're not given a lot of details on what exactly happened, what's going on, what kind of future it is. Instead, we're given a glimpse into Juliet herself and the world like the world that she experiences. And this is where you get a sense of what I was describing with like Jeff Vandermeer, China Mayville, or Dempau Torishima, um, or even Cursed Bunny. The sense Ooh. of numinous or weird or something not quite right okay Mm -hmm. it starts off with this girl juliet entering her bedroom smiling and it says that a thousand juliet's smiling back at her because basically the walls in her room um, are paneled with mirrors um and basically these mirrors sort of hide rooms behind them so she can click on a pane and then uh, a panel sorry not a pane a panel of glass and it will reveal a room behind it um and uh it just starts out by describing how cute she is you know child she she's a child basically she's a she's kind of like mm-hmm. a teenager um childlike and angelic and she has blonde curls and sensitive features um this kind of thing always makes me uncomfortable Hmm. when like male authors go on about how cute young women are and it just you know do you want me to make you more uncomfortable i guess (laughs) yes Yes, that's a yes. So her childlike and angelic uh, face is a contrast to, you guessed it, the boobalicious booby boobs I knew it! in her flimsy filmy robe. <gasps> it's like when they had um, women in the 60s wear the baby doll dresses, like, we want you to look like children, but sexy children, and it's just like, yes, oh, yes. it's such a gross vibe. I don't vibe. like the, like, honestly, if you read the Robert Block um, Wikipedia article, 
he like most of the magazines that he publishes his stories in or the um, anthology series the cover of the anthology series that he has have like just women in weird weird poses and all of them are naked uh, almost okay. all of them are naked okay. so you're just like this is what we're doing what i guess oh <laughs> <laughs> <Ugh. Yeah. laughs> so anyway um so Juliet is smiling and she's not smiling at herself she's smiling because she knows that her grandfather's back back from where you ask crow Jill well, I'll answer you yes uh, he, her grandfather basically uh, has a machine called the traveler and the traveler is this machine that helps him pop into different times um, oh and like he's yeah yeah he like it's a time machine so he pops into different times completely invisible and can pluck people from those times and oh. brings them back he brings them back to Juliet as her playthings. so he's a kidnapper he's he's like yep. a horrible human being like let me kidnap you to be my, yeah. You know, oh no, no. Yeah, my no. granddaughter's plaything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the- he basically brings it back, decontaminates it, and delivers it. And from the beginning, we sense that things are fucked up because Juliet not only refers to these people as her toys, she always refers to them as it. She never uses other she never uses like proper pronouns so not fucking fun and if that wasn't enough we get a tour through uh, Juliet's room because she's trying to decide what she's going to do with the new toy her grandpapa is going to bring her other than um, so one of the rooms the pr- that she person. goes into has um basically each room that she goes into has torture devices Lots and lots of torture devices. One of them even has an Iron Maiden that her grandpapa oh got her from somewhere. Um, I didn't realize so, that we were going back into the Peter Stump episode. <laughs> yeah, we, we are jumping back into the Peter Stump episode, except Juliet actually did it. She's actually fucked up. Oh, and man. she has like, yeah, like some of them contain electrical prods and wires um, that produce such weird grimaces and contortions of agony to say nothing of screams. <laughs> And obviously, all of the rooms are soundproof, just so you know, kids. You know, no one's going to be kept up to now. She's very considerate of her neurodiverse neighbors. Okay, um, wait, wait. So here's here's my thing. Like, so she's uh, she's a young woman, right? How is she? Yes. Like, aren't aren't a lot of these people bigger and stronger than she is? Like, how is she overpowering them? It doesn't say that they're bigger and stronger than she is because it says that the first toy that her grandpa got her was actually a, a little boy okay. and um after she'd gotten bored with the little boy she killed him and then he got her another person who was apparently it doesn't really they don't really explain how mm-hmm. she's able to exert power over them because something happens later on that kind of answers the question, you know? Okay. I'm, I'm like, still confused, I'll, I'll tell though. You. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no. I'll, I'll, it, it kind of becomes a little clearer. Um, so, basically, uh, her grandpa has shown her how the time-traveling machine works. Um, but it's not really, you know, 
it's not really explained to us. Uh-huh. Uh, it's it's just like fake sci-fi. It's capable of attaining vibrational frequencies, which freed it from the time bind. Oh, uh, no. So it's a kind of like a box-like machine looking like a small room. Um, and you go in it, and then it takes you to a fixed point in space and time. And you can move freely into the past, um, depending on you know how you program the device. But people outside can't see you, and you can basically nab people and bring them back. And you can also bring objects back, which is how she got her hands on the Iron Maiden. Well, and this is um, frustrating. Yeah. Like, I love some good techno babble. I really do. Uh, but I hate yes. it when the techno babble is like really flawed. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, like, like the Invisible Man, H.G. Wells' first book, his description of why he's able to create invisibility doesn't make any sense. He's like, well, the light passes around and, you know, like basically goes around him. And it's like, if the light was going around him, you'd see like a weird blur, you know, like the, the, movement of light would create a really odd effect so i'm it, not like, with you on this one it goes back into the controversy of hard sci-fi versus soft sci-fi it's like <laughs> i remember the host by was it um stephanie myers um was it mm. stephanie myers i think the the person who that was the book that got me banned from stephanie myers <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's Stephanie Meyer. It's not Stephanie Meyer. Sorry, my, my bad. No, it's because we so, were on a, a road trip, and I was. She has some wild lines in there that just cracked me up. And so other people in the car were trying to take it seriously, and so they're like, "You are hereby banned from all things Stephanie Myers because you don't take it seriously <laughs> enough." And I'm like, "How am I supposed to take it seriously with lines like he pulled her close, and it was like a warm sun was trapped between their two bodies as the heat radiated through the." I'm like, "You want me to take that line seriously? Like." <laughs> be realistic here <laughs> I, I get that like you know I've never even I've never read the Twilight books um, mm-hmm. or the host or anything because I was you know you know because I was a super just weird kid who mm-hmm. read weird shit when I was younger and yeah, I was fine. proud of not reading those books which is dumb now that I think about it because you know let people read whatever they want to read but yes agreed um Mm -hmm. i've read certain scenes and the prose is kind of Mm -hmm. absurd there were parts where it was um, fine but then what i was the point i was trying to make is that she said that the host was sci-fi for people who don't like sci-fi so basically soft sci-fi um where Mm -hmm. things don't necessarily need to make sense but i feel like nowadays a lot of people like even if you don't want to do hard sci-fi don't need a degree in like astrophysics or something but just make it make sense if you establish rules to your world make it make sense um and i don't think that's the point of a toy for juliet it mainly he wants to focus on the um like Uh i said the sense of weirdness weirdness the disturbing aspects of it which again remember that these were all stories that were published in like the 40s and 50s and 60s where I feel like people didn't put as much effort into their works as we do nowadays. Yeah, I'm gonna, I was going to say, like, if you want to have a time machine and just not explain how it works rather than put in, like, obviously flawed techno babble, that's okay. Like, just don't try yeah. to explain it if you're going to do it badly. That's my yeah. two cents. Yeah. And basically from here, the only hint that we're given about this world is that there was a thermonuclear war, um 
and yeah that that's literally the only hint that we get we don't really know what is going on outside of Juliet's room of terrors and Juliet says that she suspects that um her grandpa actually killed her mom and dad for who knows what reason um but he's always been really nice to her and that's what matters and uh, she also thinks in the same sentence that well one day he'll die and then she'll get to own the traveler which is the time machine herself mm-hmm. um and they even joke about it because her grandpa would often tell her that i've made you into a monster and someday you'll destroy me and then you're going to destroy the entire world or whatever's left of it um and then when she tell when she asks him like are you afraid he tells her that he's not afraid because he thinks that you know the world should end because there's nothing left of it um because apparently out of three billion people that used to inhibit the planet now there are less than three thousand and they're all closed up inside these uh tiny domes where you know humanity can exist so why not just fucking kill him honestly listen i don't agree with juliet or her grandfather but i've always asked myself if there was a zombie apocalypse or anything that threatened humanity with extinction is it really worth us fighting to remain as a species i feel like the only reason we do that is because of a biological drive that tells us that we need to continue existing but like would you want to exist as like the last human being I mean, it's Why? better than giving up. You, you don't ever just give up. This is this is the whole ba- debate What's that we've point? been having since the beginning of, of our friendship where you're like, um, be good to the machines because when there's an android uprising, yes. you want to be on the right side. And I'm like, fuck that. Yes. I'm going to fight the machines. Uh, and we have never agreed on this point. <laughs> My reasoning for that is that David Eight from Prometheus is a machine, and I used to think he was hot. I still think that androids are hot. Um, I guess you and have to like take it case to by me. case. <laughs> if humans can want sex androids, maybe the androids want sex humans. Hmm. So they've been, like, yes. breeding humans for their uh, sex purposes? Snoo, snoo, snoo. And Unless the androids all androids were, in charge were asexual. In that case, I would relate to them more. So it's a win-win situation either way, fam. <laughs> yeah. um, you keep fighting she... the toasters. Crow keep fighting for one. Them. Crow for one welcomes our android, our new android uh, overlords. <laughs> Permission to tease you over what happened yesterday? I don't remember what happened yesterday. I was very tired. Do you grant me permission? Maybe. If I, I we'll maybe see. I might give I might tell you to cut it out. <laughs> we'll see. Okay. You can tell me to cut it out. Uh, the reason your computer crashes because you keep talking shit about androids. <laughs> don't fucking do that. <laughs> I'm Okay, you don't I'm have to cut that for out. You. <laughs> I've got your back. That was so frustrating. But my computer yeah. crashed while we were recording, so I I lost about forty minutes of the Android or the Yon Vermaru episode, and we had to do it again. We so have to do it again. annoying. Yeah, <laughs> I cried inside, but it's okay. Yeah, so stop talking shit about them. Um, I'll talk shit anyway, about whatever machine so... I want to. <laughs> Try and so... tame this wild spirit. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> 
But anyway, um, yeah, so they think that the Grandpa thinks that we should wipe humanity out. I kind of agree with Grandpa. Fern doesn't want to agree with Grandpa. This time I'm actually going to make a poll on Spotify. Do you agree with Grandpa or do you not? Tell us. So anyway, um, the first toy that he got her was a little boy. Mm -hmm. You'd have the hashtag Thanos did nothing wrong. Yes, exactly. Um, When she was 11, her grandpa got her a little boy, and that was also the first quote-unquote toy that she killed. And it becomes very obvious that uh, before killing her toys, uh, Juliet likes to use them for elementary sex play. So, um, yeah, disgusting. Yes, it's pretty fucking disgusting. Yep, yep. So the first toy she beats to death with a steel rod, and then her grandpa gets her an old an, uh, an older toy, um, and it cooperated really well with her disgusting demands until she gets bored with it. So she stabs it to death one day when it was when it's sleeping, and that doesn't sit well with me because all I keep thinking is you know when pets feel so safe around you that they sleep, and then like you you can't hurt them because they feel so safe around you. And this bitch just fucking stabbed someone when they were asleep. So and she's clearly and a it, psychopath. So exactly. Exactly. So, um, basically what the grandpa does is he goes there, he fucking uses a stun gun on them, and then he decontaminates them, um, because they don't want them to be teeming with strange microorganisms. All I can imagine is them, like, getting betadine swabs and going, like, (laughs) from head to toe, until the person looks like they have turmeric rubbed all over them. But, um, anyway... Um, yeah, well, so wait, hmm? betamine swabs? What? Betadine. Betadine. I don't know what that is. Have you seen? Have you seen when, um, like, before you go into surgery or anything, that um, iodine, that oh, yellowish oh, thing oh. that they rub on your skin? Okay. Yeah, and then your skin is yeah, all discolored. Okay, I'm with you now. Yeah, to disinfect the and area. And then it yeah, looks like you have betadine. all over. You. Uh, yeah, or betadine. I don't know. Maybe I'm not pronouncing it right. I'm, it's um, I I'm, I consider your version of English as a different dialect. So it's not to say that one thing is right and the other is wrong, but it's just regional differences, you know. So it's not regional differences. It's because I learned English in a completely different language, and then I did medical school in another language. So my medical school English is fucked, and my <laughs> actual English is okay. So like I've been saying Clostridium difficile for the past fucking five years until someone was like, "It's difficile, you fucking moron," um, and I cried myself to sleep that night. But oh, and inflammatory because I've been saying inflammatory, inflammatory, or inflammatory because I kept saying hormones. Fucking hate everyone. But anyway, yeah, focus, focus. No. Um. So yeah, I force you to focus. Make me. So anyway, um, she's really excited because she's like, uh, you know, what's he gonna get her this time? What's he gonna get her? And they make a very strange point that she was named Juliet after the. Uh, Marquise de Sade um, oh. novel. Oh, yeah. Okay, I know that. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> Don't we all, unfortunately. 
So she keeps thinking about, oh, what's the toy he's going to get her this time? Is it going to be a, you know, a toy that can speak English? Is it going to be a toy that is familiar with the co like concepts introduced by the quote-unquote philosopher Desaad and enjoy this new snoo that she's into? She's just kinky. Like, Juliet, fucking read fanfiction, my girl. Get a bad dragon. Just, like, leave people alone. <laughs> So, um, is it gonna be a boy? Is it gonna be a girl? Is it gonna be tall or short? Like, for all of your technological advancements, you couldn't come up with, like, advanced sex dolls or some shit. But, um, yeah. Anyway, um, basically, she just goes on and on about what kind of creature she's going to get this time uh her grandpa's like you know what this time i've got you something and you're going to be so happy with it and she's like you know don't tease me tell me what it's like and he tells her that it's an englishman late victorian era very prim and proper by the looks of him and when she asks if he's young and handsome the grandpa says that he's passable which ouch um, so he doesn't know the person's name because he couldn't find any documentation on him. But he says that it looks like he was a physician returning from an emergency call, judging by his dress and manner. I know um, what's going to happen. <laughs> I yeah, kind of suspect We all know it. what's okay. going to happen. So she's like, prim and proper? Oh my god, I'm going to introduce him to all of my kinks, you guys. Like, we get it. Mm -hmm. You're fucking horny, but have you been subjected to, um, I don't know, carnal relationships between humans and dragons? No, I fucking doubt it. So shut the fuck up, Juliet, and stop pretending that you've been exposed to sexual horrors. Um, the internet anyway. has many surprises in store for you, Juliet. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Fan fiction, like, you know, because this was published in 1967, so I guess fan fiction wasn't as crazy back then. Mm -hmm. So, um, oh, also, also, um, just to make it a tad more disturbing, uh, you know when Juliet does the snoo snoo with her toys? Mm-hmm. Uh, her grandpa likes to watch. Oh, oh. Gross. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is why so, he's so busy getting her toys. Cause oh, okay. Yep. Gross, Grandpa. Yep. Gross. Yep. Yep. Go and she tells him that this time she doesn't want him to watch. Okay. Good. But anyway. Good. Because so, if he's out of the room, he can't do anything. When? Exactly. So <laughs> she describes the toy as male, thirty odd years, attractive but not handsome, um, and he has like you know the the ridiculous sideburns, the Victorian sideburns that they oh, used yeah, to have, yeah. the mutton chops, those. So she comments on that because why not? And he has an air of embarrassed repression. Oh, fam. Um, <laughs> so. She, again, has to describe the fact that she's wearing a revealing robe and the toy starts to blush, which she finds completely adorable. And he's like, where the fuck am I? Um, am I, like, alive? Is this heaven? Um, and Juliet is like, uh -huh, you're alive, but closer to heaven than you think because, you know, uh, she keeps a knife you. hidden under her pillow thinking that she's going to go stabby stabby on the dude. 
Um, so when she says you're alive but close to hev heaven than you think, she reaches for the knife, except the knife isn't under the pillow anymore dun, because dun, the dun. knife is in the toy's hand. And then yep. the toy goes <laughs> stabby, stabby. And what it says is... Um, the room was soundproof, and there was plenty of time. They didn't discover what was left of Juliet's body for several days. Back in London, after the final mysterious murder in the early morning hours, they never did find Jack the Ripper. Yeah, yeah, that's where I thought this was going. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a whole anthology about Jack the Ripper, so, like, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's good. It's good that you knew. So, yeah. It's, okay. You tell me your thoughts first. I mean, serial killers taking serial killers out is not the worst thing. It's kind of a Dexter moment. Uh, but at the same time, it's... I don't know. You, you can't just put the things together that you want to take each other out and hope for the best. That That is kind yeah. of World War II yeah. in a nutshell. And that was not a good thing. So let's not do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, like, what did you think of the story itself? It's an interesting amalgamation of, like, sci-fi and historical fiction. Uh, I I don't know. Like, I'm... I think it is... Inter I think it probably was pretty revolutionary at the time to have this concept of a, a Juliet type of character who uh, thinks she can play God, um, but ultimately is unable to overcome everything that comes like ultimately has something put in her path that's uh, more powerful than she is so yeah yeah I agree um and I feel like you know back in the day um I feel like the focus was more on oh if so if a woman was a villain then you know she like she's a sexy villain but she can't really carry out her evil deeds but we can tell that Juliet isn't quote unquote sexy she's fucking disturbing she's disgusting and it really make i like i don't know maybe this is just because i'm a female reader but she made my skin crawl just the mm -hmm. way that she spoke maybe it's because she was written by a dude i don't know but it's just well, it said, was very upsetting reading it, this story and like you well, know, you said I this wouldn't was say written necessarily in, 40s, in a right? bad way. I th I thought it was well written. Mm -hmm. I thought it was because it's a short story. I think it was like less than five pages or like five six pages like that. You know, so in a story like that, you don't have the luxury to world build like those minute sentences that you get to just say that oh you know there was a thermonuclear war you know things exploded or whatever are all you have, um, and. I think that Block did a good job at that. And I think he, if he wanted it to be disturbing, then he did a good job at making it disturbing. Um, none of the, like, quote-unquote sex scenes were, like, actually elaborated on or described. So, so it's not meant I to... I liked that. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, like, I don't want to focus on the sex here. I don't want this to be fetishizing i want it to be disturbing and that's what i got i feel like you right. can tell that everyone here was fucked up and because humanity was just like you know rushing towards extinction things were just deteriorating you know the relationships between family members were deteriorating the relationships between human and human were deteriorating so um that i also liked 
I liked, yeah. And the thing I like the most about the Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper series is, again, it takes a character that has been, because that's the thing about weird fiction is that it, like, the reason it was invented was because, or, you know, the reason it developed was because people were trying to veer away from vampires and werewolves and the gothic novel and ghosts and, you know, murder mysteries, the classic Agatha Christie, Sherlock Holmes kind of murder mystery, you know? So it wanted to explore horrors, but not in the way that humans understand them. So Jack the Ripper became implemented into gothic horror a lot. He even, Mm -hmm. like, showed up in, I I think, in some Sherlock stories from what I've read. So I'm trying to remember. It's he's been made a, while. a couple of like I don't know about Sherlock, but like he's made a lot of appearances in gothic fiction. Yeah. Um. And Block decided that you know what I'm going to reinvent this character. I'm not gonna turn him into a vampire. Um. I'm not gonna turn him into a werewolf or a demon or a ghost. I'm going to turn. I'm going to take him. He's a regular human being. He just discovered that he needs to make regular sacrifices throughout the world at different times to maintain his immortality which back then like i don't want to say that he was the first person who thought of it but from what i could find i did a lot of digging he's the only he's the first person that came up that we know of and apparently people then like i everyone makes a point that anyone who's ever written anything about jack the ripper after that plagiarized it from robert block which i mean it's jack the ripper fam like I mean, it's it's a Sit new down. take on um, taking a historical figure and adjusting, putting them into like a purely fictional setting. Like instead of saying, oh, what if this happened? Or, you know, something that's still well confined within the historical aspects he's talking about. It, he's just gone way out and said like, well, what if we took this character and we put him in this completely sci-fi or fant- fantasy setting and things are completely yeah. different. So I... For as early as he was, that was pretty revolutionary. One thing that did strike me, and I I don't love this, um, Mm. is he's kind of demonizing female sexuality with the Juliet story a little bit. Because there was there was the like honestly, like I said, if you explore his other works, you do get a sense of that. Like just you know Mm -hmm. the art, the characters it does like there's a lot of gross stuff about his work too Mm -hmm. um and like i said you know when i mentioned the yours truly jack the ripper short story like i said there's problematic aspects in that too Mm -hmm. so you honestly like it's it's difficult it's difficult to say i'm trying to separate the problematic aspects from the contributions to quote unquote weird fiction but luckily nowadays we have so many weird fiction authors to choose from that if you know you don't want to delve into um lovecraft or robert block we don't Mm -hmm. really have to because there are a lot of awesome writers out there that respect women and minorities minorities so yeah yeah well and yeah because (laughs) we don't you don't have to have like female sexuality a sexually empowered woman end up being a serial killer you know uh but i think i I don't think it's coincidence though in my opinion yeah yeah we can have both 
But I think as long like, as he yeah. I think the emphasis on her sexuality and how it's so important to her and how she, they go on about it is kind of emphasizing like this is not how women should be. Uh, this is how this is a corrupt woman and a wrong woman and it does show like how fucked up that was for the time and and I I think it's important to kind of acknowledge that and call it out and not just gloss mm. over it you know because we are trying no, to do better time, <laughs> if we accept no I, no I get that like I agree with you mm-hmm. but if I would say that let's imagine that Juliet was a guy you know mm-hmm. and there was a sexual aspect to that and we know that sexually motivated crimes are a huge it's a thing, thing you know yeah. in the whole in in studying serial killers and why they do what they do um so it is a thing what i would say is because i'm not as um i haven't done much reading into robert block's stories but if he treats his male characters the same way he treats his female characters then i wouldn't have a problem with it but if i do further reading later on and i find out that he keeps treating his female characters this way which i suspect he probably does and you're right just going based off of the art um Mm -hmm. then that i would have a huge problem with because Mm -hmm. yeah i do see your point and i do see why that can be interpreted that way and i agree with it well, and I don't think there's anything wrong with talking about it. It is a, a part of the history that is something that actually happened. Like, it was a very common mentality at the time. I, I think it's female sexuality is still demonized sometimes today. So it's worth talking about. It, it's a good discussion starter. Uh, Definitely. So, you know, it's good to talk about. <laughs> it is. But yeah, that's what I have for you guys today. I'm sorry it wasn't American Psycho. I don't know if there's anyone who is actually looking forward to that. But if you were, it, it'll come up uh, next it. week. I've got two more episodes left for this month, uh, one of which is going to be American Psycho. And the other one you're just going to have to wait to find out about. I don't know if I mentioned it, but if I didn't mention it, it's going to be a surprise. Um Until then, if you enjoyed this episode, then consider giving us a follow. We're available on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. If you really enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a review because we would love to hear what you think. Um, And also feel free to give us a follow on our social media. We're available on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and we have an email if you want to tell us about weird happenings in your life or make recommendations on what you want us to review next. Um... So, yeah, but until then, we will see you next week with Rimaru Part 2 and American Psycho. (laughs) Until then, this is Crow and and this is Fern. Bidding you a, I don't know, good morning, evening, afternoon, wherever you are. Indeed. Bye.